0: Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sid, do you want to hear, it's Halloween, do you want to hear a spoopy story?
1: You know, you know I'm all in for spooky stories.
0: Um, This is my spoopy story. When I was a kid, I thought that Lyme disease and scurvy were the same thing, because I knew you had to eat citrus to get rid of scurvy, so I thought Lyme disease and scurvy were the same thing until I was like... In my late teens,
1: that, that's your, that is that it. Are you done? Yeah,
0: that's the spoopy story.
1: Okay, I'm I'm confused. Which part of
0: that is spoopy? Well, you, um, the spoopy part is you married me, and also we have an infant daughter. Uh,
1: okay, <laughs> fair, fair, pretty that's, spoopy, right? Yeah, I don't even know if spoopy would be the word. I think more like horrifying, If I contemplate it, well,
0: don't don't think about it too much. Like, yeah, terrifying. This is, that's, like. like it's not cafe, I I, like, I thought that, um, yeah, I thought they were the same thing.
1: Like sheer abject terror. Okay.
0: Well, moving on. You told me we were talking about Lyme disease, and that's my antidote about Lyme disease. Okay. So there.
1: <laughs> it was a good one. I,
0: Thanks. Thank you. Thanks thank for sharing you. that yeah. intimate detail. It was a painful story. Of your life.
1: It's okay. Because in the Halloween spirit, I will tell you that for many years, I said, um, instead of pumpkin, um, I said uh, pump, punkman. Punk, punkman. Yes, I said Punkman I for many years. I
0: couldn't say Mischief really? for like the first 15 years or so did I was your, on Earth.
1: Did your parents correct you?
0: Uh, when I said Mishfish? No, they didn't. Really?
1: See, my parents never told me that it wasn't Punkman. So like I was, I, I thought Punkman, and I also thought that if I saw like a teacher was MRS period, like if it was a female mm-hmm. teacher and we were supposed to call her Mrs. Whatever. I thought it was Mizras, And I called my, I remember calling my fifth grade teacher Mizras, and my parents didn't <sighs> correct me. So we're going to do better. We're going to do better. We're going to do better. Uh, so let's talk about Lyme disease, Justin. Uh, a lot of people have suggested um, that we do Lyme disease, have have kind of searched and then been shocked we haven't covered it yet and so have suggested it. So thank you to Devin and Christine and Amanda and Lindsay and Tamara and Ian and Diane. Thank you, guys. Um, Lyme disease is really interesting because...
0: That's for me to decide.
1: Well, that's true. You can tell me at the end if this was interesting. Okay. Wait until we turn off the recording.
0: Okay, deal.
1: There's a, there's a little bit of ancient history of Lyme disease, but for the most part, this is a very modern disease. Um, we find the first description of what was probably Lyme disease from uh, Reverend Dr. John Walker, who was on the island of Jura, which is also known as Deer Island off the coast of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm presuming because there's lots of deer? Probably. Uh, and or he,
0: no deer, like a notable lack of deer.
1: <laughs> why would you, well, then? Why wouldn't it be called No
0: Deer Island? I, it's hopeful. It's optimistic. Deerless. It's optimistic.
1: Deerless Island towards
0: a deerful future.
1: Uh, he he observed. Some sort of illness that caused a rash and people were in a lot of pain. And he described all this. And he thought it was spread by, I mean, he was he was talking about ticks, but what he called them were worms mm-hmm. that, that might have spread this disease. Um, which, from the description, this is probably Lyme or something like Lyme that he's talking about. You can find some older descriptions of like skin diseases that sort of sound like the Lyme disease rash from Germany. Um, but it's not clear if it is, in fact, Lyme disease. There are other tick-borne illnesses they may have been talking about. We found evidence that the bacteria that I'll tell you about that does cause Lyme disease um, was in a German tick from
0: 1884. How did we... Why why are we keeping tabs on that guy?
1: I don't know. A well-preserved tick that we know is German from 1884. How do you think we knew he was German? Like, did he speak?
0: The (laughs) Lederhosen.
1: That's what you got? I was gonna say because of his... Uh, excellent taste in beer
0: okay that's that's good that's that's celebratory <laughs> i like that
1: um we've also found a mouse from cape cod from 1894 who had evidence of lyme disease um we we even found a. Uh, Oatsy the Iceman, Oatsy, Oatsy the Iceman, mm-hmm. which I, I like, this was just mentioned several times, like, you know, everybody's famous Iceman. Oatsy. Oatsy the Iceman, uh, who is a 3,000-year-old mummy who was found to have the bacteria that causes Lyme disease.
0: Oatsy uh, would be a really good name for him. our horse. Not this spelling, but Oatsy the Horse would be really, a really positive name for a horse.
1: I'm assuming he's a human. He's the Iceman. Yeah.
0: Well, it just says mummy here.
1: Is he the ice? Is it? The Iceman?
0: Is it yeah. Iceman? It's Iceman. <laughs> both both the mutant and the pilot.
1: Um, throughout the 1900s, we see a lot more research being done to try to figure out, um, because we see more incidences of, like, this person had arthritis, and then they also had a rash, and we don't know why, and we're trying to piece it together. We know that ticks carry some diseases. And so you see, like, different mentions of studies, and then some weird symptoms, like, this person also had some weird neurological problems. Um. After the advent of penicillin in the 1940s, we see people kind of just throwing penicillin at this, like, ah, uh, you know, this is great. We have this new drug. Let's try that. Um, but we really don't see Lyme disease, uh, dis- like uh, described and diagnosed until the 70s. So wow, Justin, that's like
0: a new disease. Basically. Yes,
1: yes, it's it's very new, especially in in sawbones terms. This right, very new. Um. So I want to take you back to the summer of 1975.
0: Okay, I'm ready.
1: Okay, so let me give you a little bit of, of like, info about, th- just to give you a sense of place and time. Uh, the number one movie that year is Jaws. Okay. Okay. This is the year that SNL premiered. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the year that uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was first shown.
0: I believe Wild Cherry was burning up the chart. West Virginia's own Wild Cherry was burning up the charts with "Play That Funky Music, White Boy."
1: Really? I don't know. Somewhere around this time. Yeah, you don't know that. Uh, uh, "Love Will Keep Us Together."
0: Oh yeah, It was yeah, the yeah. top
1: song, Captain and Tennille. Um This was also the year that in Japan they invented a little something called the VCR,
0: the video cassette recorder.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a very exciting nice. time. So this is this is where we are.
0: That, uh, if you're if you're listening and you're younger than twenty, that was a uh, Machine that recorded... It's like TiVo. <laughs> there were well. these
1: giant tapes. You've probably seen these these old things called cassette tapes.
0: <laughs> I'm not doing this. You know no. what? They can read a book.
1: <laughs> no, they're going to read it on the internet. They don't read internet.
0: They books. can read a Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: um, so we're in the summer of 75. And it's a hot summer. Oh. Yeah. And they're suddenly in, in, in a place called Lyme, Connecticut. Mm-hmm there start to be these cases of arthritis, of what appears to be rheumatoid arthritis, but in kids, lots of them, a lot more than you would expect to see just naturally, you know, people who have rheumatoid arthritis as children. Uh, So we have this cluster of cases, more and more kids are being diagnosed. Some of them have other weird symptoms. Some of them have rashes and parents are getting pretty panicked about it. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, it's a weird disease. Um, Nobody knows why they're getting it. Uh, And and it's causing quite a stir. So uh, researchers from the area and then, you know, from National Institute of Health and all those kinds of things kind of uh, all collect in Lyme to try to figure out, okay, what is going on? Where is this coming from? You know, epidemiologists, let's study this. Let's try to let's try to piece this together because clearly this is something infectious. So they start looking for a common source. They study water sources and air sources. They try to find environmental toxins. They interview the kids and the families, and they start to see some similarities. The cases all started, the symptoms all started around the late spring to summertime. Uh, All these kids had been playing outside in wooded areas, which isn't, like, shocking. Like, you know, they're kids. It's the 70s. We don't have VCR yet. Like we just invented it. What else are they doing? <laughs> right. You know. Of course, they're playing outside. Like there's nothing. There's nothing to do inside. Um. So the kids are playing outside in wooded areas, and they start asking them about contact with like bugs and ticks and things like that. And they find that a lot of the kids say, you know, I I know I was I did have a tick on me, or their parents say, you know, I pulled a tick off of them. Um. And quite a few of them start reporting a rash that they describe as fairly similar. Mm-hmm. So they start thinking, these researchers researchers start thinking, you know what, this could be the tick, specifically a deer tick, a very certain kind of tick. It's different than your dog tick, so don't get freaked out about the ticks on your dog. This is a very different tick. So they start studying, could it be these ticks? Um, And there is a researcher named Dr. Willie Bergdorfer, who luckily, fortuitously, had spent part of his career studying um, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is another illness that's Transmitted by ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had also spent some time in Europe uh, studying a tick-borne relapsing fever. He'd also, as he notes, when you read his like memoirs, like had gone to a conference in 1949 that had proposed ticks like the deer tick as possibly being able to transmit infection.
0: So, uh, answer me something, Tid, That I uh, you may not have the answer, but ju- just to give me some idea, like how does this happen? How does a how does a disease, um, just sort of go? Un- I mean. Is it literally new or I mean it's obviously not literally new because like the Iceman had it so like how, do, how does a disease Is this just people not connecting the dots or do you think Lyme disease changed in some way that made it more prevalent or do you think it's just migration of the disease you know to, to a certain area or, or what how does this happen.
1: I mean, certainly the disease migrates. That's true, and certainly we are we become better at recognizing it. You know, part of it is that they, this was probably described for many years before we just we called it Lyme disease. But uh, the bigger thing with, with anything like this that's um, like tick borne or any kind of insect born or, or things that um, probably had had created their own little life cycles with mammals other than humans and insects out in the woods. It's really as we penetrate further into those areas mm-hmm. that you start to see it spread to humans. Huh. Um, so this probably had to do with the fact that more and more people were living there. You know, after the Industrial Revolution, we, there was more deforestation and more people were spending more time
0: you know, closer to nature. There was also more of a push to get out there. You know, like that became more fashionable, right? Like getting yes. out into the woods. And yes.
1: Yeah. So as you begin to see people moving into these areas and more and more. the 70s, obviously, like, but still. Yeah. More and more human infringement on these kinds of areas. That's when you see us get these diseases. And this isn't unique to Lyme disease or tick-borne illnesses. This is true for a lot of different illnesses. You could, you know, date the moment that they crossed from animals to human is when humans went where the animals are, essentially. yeah okay. um, so, if we would just, I don't know, stay in our concrete towers. It <laughs> so, what's, what's it caused? You know, like we do
0: in West Virginia. Right. <laughs> what's, it, uh, what's it caused by, Sid?
1: Okay. So, uh, with the help of Dr. Willie Bergdorfer, they were able to isolate the organism that causes Lyme disease. It is called uh, Borrelia bergdorferi. As you may have guessed, bergdorferi was not like just a crazy... Happenstance, it was named for Dr. Willie
0: Bergdorfer. Right. Yeah,
1: that would be a really crazy coincidence. That would be a crazy coincidence.
0: <laughs> Your name is what? Excuse me, uh,
1: sir? Uh, Borrelia, it was already uh, known. It's it's a type of uh, spirochete bacteria. Um, Which is
0: halfway between a spiral and a parakeet, as everybody knows. <laughs> No. Accurate. No. Accurate in it, sight.
1: It means, if you look up what, what spirochetes look like, first Germain. of all, other kinds of spirochetes. <laughs> Not
0: Borelli, but Can other kinds Can you imagine them? They're <laughs> horrifying. Those poor things. The body of a bird, the head of a spiral. God's greatest mistake. Spirochete. <laughs>
1: And it gives you Lyme disease.
0: It gives you Lyme disease if he looks at you.
1: And there's another kind of spirochete that will give you
0: syphilis. Sp- now that's spoopy. Like, you want to talk spoopy? The spirochete that's spoopy. Somebody draw me a spirochete so I can get a tattoo.
1: If you want to, if you want a tattoo, of spirochetes, there are many pictures on the internet. You can Google them, and they're very pretty. I bet
0: they're not going to look they're like what I need them to look like. No. No, they're going to not going to look like a pair. No, body they're not going to
1: look like that. Oh, that's true.
0: I need a real spirochete. Okay,
1: so that's you have a challenge. This is your Halloween challenge. Spooky <laughs> Halloween. Leveled at you challenge. by Sawbones. Please draw Justin a parrot with a parakeet with the head of a, a spiral. spiral. <laughs> right. <laughs> or perhaps just a spiral parakeet.
0: A spy listen, if you can figure that one out, please <laughs> let me know, MC Escher. MC Escher Junior <laughs> out there listening.
1: Um so they seriously though look at pictures of spirochetes if you see like dark field microscopy pictures they're just beautiful but they look like little spirals You're um, such a nerd. I am it's a bacteria uh we figured you know we figured out what it was we were we developed testing for it by 1984 and we it became a reportable disease by 1987 so since then we've been keeping track of where it is and how much it is and, and all that kind of thing um, it is, as I alluded to, it is carried by a tick, the deer tick, which is Ixodes scapularis. It's a hard tick. That's a very important distinction in ticks, soft ticks and hard ticks, okay. I think, because they're hard. I don't touch them. When I see them, I'm going to assume it's hard. It looks hard. Um, on the West Coast, this can be carried by Ixodes pacificus, which is slightly different, but we don't really see it much on the West Coast. It's a mainly New England disease. It is spreading south. We're seeing it more and more, like in our area, there were actually four more counties in West Virginia were added to the list of endemic counties mm-hmm. for Lyme disease um, in August of this year. So very recently. It's still not in our county. We oh, still don't have it in our county. Goodness. Yeah. But um, but it is spreading further south probably as the animals move.
0: But you know what? That doesn't mean so much because I bet a lot of people who get ticks are out in another count, like they would be traveling anyway, right? Like when I got exactly. a tick in my head, I was in uh, Lawrence County, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Out, 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 out lake vesuvius camping
1: <laughs> exact. which Did is funny it's funny to I think about was... you out camping i mean yeah, i love you I mean, but it's, it was you're at, not exactly like justin I mean, the
0: outdoorsman i mean it's at a campground right like we had some of the luxuries of home electric griddle whatnot
1: was that when we went with travis
0: no no oh. no this is when i was little and when i got home i was watching cartoons and i thought i had some marshmallow in my hair and i picked at it for an hour Before I finally just yanked it out and realized it was a tick. How's your day? Bad. I told that story on another podcast before. Maybe this podcast. Please let me know. Or don't. I don't. It doesn't really matter to me. But uh, it was the worst thing. I still remember it with perfect crystal clarity. It was a nightmare.
1: That would be awful. Um, I've never had a tick and I'm glad.
0: Yeah. it's the Do do
1: you remember the time I went camping with Travis and we had to dump out all our beer?
0: Yeah now that's that
1: we got caught by what park rangers park rangers forced us to dump out all our beer sad day
0: Um, you know what's saddest about that that actually happened before we got there but the the just the story of it was so so visceral to you that you have like it has formed itself in your mind
1: i feel like Like i was there like Like travis told us about it when we got there and i felt like his pain like i could see it i could see that it happening um so so how does the how does the bacteria get from the tick into you? Well, that's pretty obvious, right? Like yeah, the tick bites you and eats it wants your, to suck your sucks blood. your blood exactly so the the bacteria lives in the gut of the tick and when it attaches to you and starts feasting on your blood, the bacteria has to make its way feasting eh yeah. Not it's, just eating, no feasting. Feasting, it's, it is Halloween. Drink
0: deep, little friend. <laughs>
1: uh, the bacteria has to migrate from the gut of the tick to its salivary glands, so it can then like get into the little wound that it's created. Mm-hmm. You know, just like stick it down, like like spit it with the spit and the bacteria. It, I'm this is to, the worst. I know. I know. Stop it. This takes. By the way, this process, the bacteria moving and then getting from the salivary glands into you, takes uh, at least thirty six hours. Maybe more, um, usually more, and this is probably why it's a lot easier for the tick to give this to like deer and mice and other mammals. Cause they don't give a crap because yeah, because well, they don't have like opposable thumbs, so Wait, they can't like they get the do? tick off as easily. They They're not freaked out. They by can't them open like we the are. jar of
0: Vaseline. To get rid of it,
1: but th- but this is this is good for you to know because if the tick has not been on you for at least thirty six hours, it can't give you anything. There's no way it gave you anything. It has to be there that long. Um, and if you're not sure if the tick's been on you that long, uh, engorgement is an important point. So I thought I would tell you a little bit
0: about tick engorgement. Oh, great! That's um, just how I was hoping to spend my Friday.
1: Now, if you have never seen a tick on you or certainly an engorged tick on you, um. Again, you can find... Because I hadn't. I've never had a, a tick on me. Um, mm-hmm. I've actually never t- picked a tick off of a patient. They usually pick them off before they come in and then tell me about it. Um, but if you, uh, if you see a tick that's engorged, you'll know right away. It looks like... Have you ever found like a blood blister? Like a little blister that's just... That's what they look. They look like huge and swollen and red. And I mean, you know, like when you see the little teeny ticks, especially I didn't mention this, the nymph form of the tick, like the younger form of the tick is the one that's more likely to spread this simply because they're tiny. They're about the size of a poppy seed. They're very small. So you can miss them. It looks like a freckle. You wouldn't even know they were on you. You could be covered in them right now. And they would look like little freckles, and you wouldn't know for sure until you, like, scratched them and they came off.
0: Can we please go Um, to the billing department? I'll give you anything.
1: But anyway, if they get engorged, they look giant and red and Mm, pulsating and nasty. I'm going. I'm going with or without you. you. you
0: We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. okay i've girded my psyche to hear more about lyme disease i would thank you to steer clear of engorgement and engorgement related topics madam okay. and maybe tell me how okay. i know if i have lyme disease which by the way 100 sure i have now thank you so, how do i know for sure okay. which i do
1: okay so the the we'll just go move past the tick biting you and transmitting the bacteria to you and, uh, and assume you. That that's already happened um uh, there are three stages of Lyme disease. Uh, the first stage, early localized disease, is what, like, if you've ever heard anything about ra- about Lyme disease, you've probably heard about a rash. And it is classically called the bullseye, quote unquote, rash, because it looks it's supposed to look like a bullseye. Um, it's also called erythema migrans. Uh, but that is the most common, um, that is the thing that we can tell you for sure you have Lyme disease if we see it. It only happens in about 80% of patients, so there are still people who have Lyme disease who don't get that rash. Mm -hmm. Um, And the trickier thing is that only about 19% of people who get the rash, it really looks like the classic textbook medical school bullseye rash that they tell us about. So sometimes it can just look like a big red spot, a big reddish blue spot. You can even have multiple of them. Sometimes it can blister. Um, But the point is there's a big rash. It, It has to be five centimeters or greater to qualify, so it's pretty big. Um, And they and it expands. And the only other symptoms you're going to get other than the rash, which, by the way, isn't like itchy or painful or anything. It's just there are like flu like symptoms. So like really nonspecific, some, you know, fevers and chills and body aches and that kind of thing. You know, nothing that you would ever, you know, without the rash, you would never come in with these symptoms. And us say Lyme disease, especially here, I would say you got the flu, you got a virus, whatever. Um, If you don't catch it in this early stage and treat it, you're going to move on to early disseminated disease, uh, which could mean more rashes, it could mean more body aches, you could start to get some joint pains, um, and you can get some more serious effects at this point. This is why Lyme disease is is a bigger deal, is because then you can start getting like inflammation of your heart called carditis, It can cause like abnormal heart rhythms, and you can get neurological effects, um, even things like meningitis, uh, sometimes just like neuropathies, like numbness, tingling, or like weakness somewhere. But you can actually get meningitis from Lyme disease.
0: I got to say, and I know there's a third stage, but like at, at this point especially, this sounds like it would be a monster to try to diagnose. This is a crazy constellation of symptoms.
1: It is, it is very hard to diagnose. Uh, I'll definitely mention that. It, it is a very difficult thing, especially if you didn't have the rash. And if Oh, you-, you
0: have that in the notes. Wow, I just put that together myself.
1: No, it is. It's very <sighs> hard to diagnose.
0: Genius, junior doctor.
1: You've been listening to me, I think. Yeah. You've been paying attention.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Good job. Well, you're sitting really close to me, and I love you a lot. (laughs) And
1: I talk really loud.
0: Yeah. And I got the headphones on, so it's (laughs) like, yeah.
1: So you're right. It is really hard to diagnose, especially, you know, if you have the rash and you have the history of tick exposure, much easier, you know, that's a slam dunk, especially if you live in an area like New England, you'd be much more likely to notice, you know, to recognize this and treat it if you're living here in this county in West Virginia where it's not endemic, you'd be much less likely. And certainly in in southern states or out west, you wouldn't ever think about this. Um, And you probably shouldn't, by the way. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But at this point, you're going to be sick enough that you're going to be in the hospital and we may be testing you for stranger things, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, it wouldn't be obvious if this is all you had. If it if you were still not diagnosed and treated, it can progress to the late stage, which is when you get a lot of the uh, more severe arthritis, which is probably what these kids in 1975 had because um, they hadn't been treated because nobody knew what they had. Um, and you can get some more severe neurological problems like permanent Peripheral neuropathies, meaning like um, numbness and tingling Mm -hmm. in your hands or feet. Uh, You can get um, changes in your personality, stuff called encephalopathy. You know, some, some permanent stuff can begin to happen. Not all of it is permanent, even if you treat it in this late stage most of the time all your symptoms will go away but Mm -hmm. there but there are some things that if it progresses this far um may stick with you so uh one important thing so those are the three stages of lyme disease itself now hopefully you catch it the earlier the better and you treat with antibiotics which i'll tell you about it's really easy to treat um and it goes away that's the hopeful thing what can happen is that if it progresses long enough before somebody catches it like let's say you don't remember you were bitten by a tick and you never had the rash so nobody really knows what they're looking for um you can have something called post-treatment lyme disease syndrome which is which are patients who have been diagnosed and treated appropriately they already had the right course of antibiotics but they persist to have symptoms longer than six months Hmm. Um, because you expect all of these things to resolve by six months once you've been treated Mm -hmm. um probably a lot sooner if you've been treated you know early on is that common what post post treatment? Yeah. No, it's not common. It's uncommon, but some patients have it. And the later you were diagnosed and treated, the more likely you are to to develop some long term arthritis and some, um, like I said, some neuropathies, neuropathic pain. Um, this is this is very rare but it is a huge impact on the lives of patients who have it because mm-hmm. you know they get the antibiotics and they expect to feel better and they wait and they wait and they wait and they do feel better but there are still some things hanging around and it can be really tricky at that point to say like is did you get it again is this something new is Lyme is disease it, too yeah is it because you can get it again you know just because sure. you had Lyme disease once and were treated doesn't mean you can't get it again um
0: you mentioned it's really hard to diagnose How, Is there some sort of, sort of test that you can do that, like just gra- grab some blood and test it for Lyme disease there,
1: there are there are many tests you can do. Um, there is a very specific, if you go to the Centers for Disease Control website or the Infectious Disease Society of America website, which is, by the way, where a lot of this information comes from that, that I'm giving you, from the IDSA and from the CDC, um, if you have questions about Lyme disease, I would refer to one of those two organizations, especially the CDC, because it's really uh, user-friendly. They have stuff that is meant for me as a physician to read, and then they have lots of stuff that's meant for people without any medical background to read, you know, mm-hmm. Um, But they will tell you there are two tests that they recommend, and you do them in a specific order. It's it's very uh, precise the way we do the testing. Uh, The first test looks for certain antibodies. If this test is negative, you're good to go. You don't have Lyme disease. If this test comes back positive, or sometimes it can be equivocal, then there's a follow-up test that you can do that's a little more uh, specific to try to figure out if you really do have Lyme disease. Even when done in the right order and when – the, because there are certain time frames you have to do them. Even with all that, you can still get false positives on these tests. So as you can imagine, that makes it really tricky because now a test has come back positive for Lyme disease. Uh, You know, maybe a second test came back positive for Lyme disease. So you you think maybe this person has Lyme disease. They still might be wrong. Um, it's good to know that if you have the rash and a definite history of a tick exposure, especially if you know it's been more than 36 hours that the tick was on there, mm-hmm. you don't need to do all this. You just treat them. Okay. Yeah. You don't do any of this testing if you have those two things. And what's the treatment? Uh, the treatment is pretty easy. It's it's just antibiotics, very commonly accept, you know, commonly available antibiotics. Doxycycline is a great one, but there's lots of other alternatives. Um, it can be 14 up to 28 days, depending on what stage you're in and what symptoms you have. If you're more severely ill, if you're into like the the heart effects or the neurological effects, the late stages, then you may be sick enough to actually need some IV antibiotics. So there's another antibiotic, ceftriaxone. We use again, we're talking about 14 to 28 days courses of treatment. That would be the most you would need. Um, and you may or may not have to be hospitalized for part of this. Again, it kind of depends on how sick you are.
0: But I imagine the best course of action would just be not to get Lyme disease.
1: Absolutely. So the best thing to do is prevention. Don't get tick bites. Um, If possible, stay away from ticks. That's oh great! If
0: you see one coming, lesson. it's like not here. Run! Mr. Like they don't move
1: fast. They're don't very go outside.
0: What are you doing out there anyway? That's their domain.
1: So try to stay away from tick concentrated areas. A lot of people aren't going to do that. Um, so when you do go into areas where there are ticks, especially the deer tick, um, you want to wear like light colored, long sleeved and long pants. You know, clothes that kind of thing to protect your skin. Uh, DEET is useful uh, as a tick repellent. Um, if you're not going to do all that, you want to do a tick check within 36 hours of coming in. So you've been outside. You've been around ticks. Have somebody or, you know.
0: Wait a minute. But wait. What if you were out for more than 36 hours? What if you're camping?
1: Yeah. Uh, you should probably do within 36 hours of when you've been outside. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe tick checks while you're camping.
0: Tick checks constantly. It can
1: be very romantic, you know. Yeah, sure. Just out there in your tent alone, stripped down and check each other for ticks.
0: Explore your lover's body. <laughs>
1: For ticks. For ticks. And you really have to look closely because, like I said, the nymphs are like poppy seed size.
0: I'm not doing this with you again, (laughs) Smurl. Move on.
1: Um, Another thing that can be helpful is if you've been outside for a short period of time, you can bathe within two hours of coming in. That's actually been shown to reduce the risk of getting Lyme disease. Um, Watch out for your pets. You can't get Lyme disease from your pet, but they could carry in a tick that has Lyme disease, and then the tick gets on you. So you know, if your ticks have been outside in areas where there are... Or if your pets have been outside in areas with deer ticks, think about that. Interestingly, there was a vaccine briefly. Oh, great. Cool. End of episode. (laughs) No. No, because there's not now. It was called Limarix. It was uh, it came out in 1998. Um, It was really cool the way it worked. It actually it it attacked this specific ospe protein that is mainly produced um, when the bacteria is inside the uh, tick. So it's produced by the bacteria inside the tick. The, it, it, the vaccine makes you make antibodies against it. Mm. So you make antibodies that target that protein. Hmm. Um, I think I misspoke there. So does that make sense? Yeah. You make antibodies. They target the protein that is inside the tick. So they are probably mainly attacking the tick's bacteria while it's attached to you. Hmm. Which is crazy. It is crazy. Also after it's inside your body, but mainly while it's attached to you. Anyway, it was a very cool vaccine. uh, About 78% effective, which is not too bad. Um, But there was a lot of worry about adverse effects. Um, There was a lot of media concern. There was some, uh, maybe a little bit of undue panic. Uh, It wasn't a perfect vaccine. And there probably were some people who were going to have some adverse reactions to it. Ultimately, if people had used it and if they hadn't pulled it from the market and if we had years of data collected on it, we may have found that it was a good vaccine that was worthwhile. I don't really know because it was pulled from the market in 2002, mainly because GlaxoSmithKline wasn't making enough money off of it. Um, but at that point, uh, there wasn't enough like of a database to tell you, was it really you know, hmm. worth all the panic that it caused? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It may have been a great vaccine. It's not around anymore. Got it. Um. There is controversy. And I know everybody who's been listening to this episode is probably not everybody, but there are a lot of people listening who are waiting for us to talk about the controversy that has to do with Lyme disease. Okay. Um, And that's with something Justin... We we
0: didn't, as you can tell from the time indicator on your podcast Mm -hmm. player.
1: Yeah, I don't want to belabor this point um, because our podcast is supposed to entertain you, hopefully inform you a little bit, and make you happy and make you feel good. (laughs) And my job is not to lecture you Or to um, – I'm not your doctor. I'm your friend. (laughs) Go talk to your doctor if you have real concerns about these issues or if you have real questions. Um, But I am going to give you the information that, again, is available widely from the Centers for Disease Control, from the Infectious Disease Society of America, and also from – you know, the you're, American Academy of Pediatrics. You're talking the around Academy this of Neurology a little and, bit.
0: It. What, is, what is it? What are you talking so about?
1: So there is there is a term that you will hear called chronic Lyme disease. Um, this, this is a term used to describe people who continue to have symptoms associated with Lyme disease longer than the six-month time frame that we would expect um, after they've been treated.
0: So we know that this happens, though, right?
1: Right. The, this is, Post-treatment
0: this, Lyme disease syndrome.
1: Yes. This is most likely... Most of these patients have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Um, the the controversy comes in with uh, do they still have an active infection? Now, the accepted medical position um, by all major medical organizations is that no, there is no active infection. And why does that matter? Because then that means you don't need more antibiotics. You know, if 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 these are just the sequela that are left over after you've had an infection and been treated, not to minimize them, they're still severe, but you don't need to treat them with more antibiotics. Well, what does
0: sequela mean? Super quick.
1: Uh, just like the the effects, okay. the, the after effects kind of thing. Um, but if you do have an active infection, obviously we would need to give you more antibiotics. That is where the the issue lies. Um, there are uh, physicians who are proponents of continuing to treat Lyme disease as long as any symptoms remain. Um, and these symptoms can be incredibly vague. They can be muscle aches and pains. They can be fatigue. Um You know, headaches, things that that may be attributable to a million other diseases. Um, And so there are patients who end up on quite literally years of IV antibiotics. Uh, This position is not held by any, like I said, major medical organization. Um, What the Centers for Disease Control or the IDSA will tell you is that likely these patients either have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which is a very real entity, or they have something else that just is. We're just lumping in with Lyme disease, and we need to do a little more digging and talk with these patients more and take care of them because they have very real symptoms that probably aren't going to be addressed by long-term antibiotics. And studies, again and again, show that long-term antibiotics are no benefit over placebo um, in these patients. So, um, if you are if you are questioning whether or not you know, you still have symptoms, you, you've been diagnosed with Lyme disease, you've been treated and you need to, and, and you still have symptoms and you're wondering what to do next. I would go uh, talk with your physician about that, about this, ask them what the safest thing, you know, what the best thing to do is, what are the recommendations? What are the guidelines? Uh, there are negative side effects from obviously from getting long term IV antibiotics, depending on what they choose, it can hurt your, you know, your liver, your kidneys, not always, but th- this can happen. And also, um, when you have an IV access, an intravenous access for a long time, as you would need if you were going to get extended antibiotics for anything, anything that we treat with extended antibiotics, that's a source of infection. So you can get infections in your skin or at the site or in your bloodstream, which can put you at risk for a lot of other problems. So so if you have had Lyme disease and you've been treated and you think that uh, you may still have symptoms or you have concerns, please go speak with your physician about it. Uh, don't just trust the internet
0: and if your physician says you have chronic Lyme disease you may want to get a second opinion right because it sounds like he might be an outlier
1: i I think that i would i would ask for a second opinion at that point too um because yes that is not the accepted medical position at this point but again i would encourage you this is and we say this a lot and this is true not just for medical things this is true for like anything right don't just trust the internet i'm sorry internet but you know, for every time you you help me out, you let me down 10 more times. So don't just Google this and take what you said, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of things that um, I wouldn't just trust, I would go speak with your physician. If you're unsure, get a second opinion. Um, Again, don't don't listen to me even don't trust I'm just another voice on the internet,
0: right? right? Go, go talk to your doctor about this issue. Uh, thank you, to the Maximum Fun Network, for having us as part of their program. Hey, uh, we uh we uh uh, uh, uh did a guest spot on the Ono Ross and Carey show. Thank you to uh, Ross and Carey for for handling our show uh, last week. I really enjoyed their episode, and we did an episode of their show where we went to the mystery hole in uh, 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 West Virginia. And it's a a popular tourist trap. And we investigated the paranormal claims there. uh, And it was a lot of fun. And it
1: was super cool. And it was a lot of fun. So thanks, Ross and Carrie, for letting us do that. You search on iTunes
0: or what have you. You can can find that. Uh, Also wanted to tell you that um, Aunt Cool, uh, Sydney's sister Riley, uh, frequent uh, podcast guest host, is doing a fundraiser for her uh, speech and debate team. This is the next generation of west virginia podcasting here <laughs>
1: it, starts with, speech and it debate. starts
0: with speech and debate uh she's doing a fundraiser to try to help raise money for her for her team um if you'd like to donate to that even a couple bucks would really mean the wor- world to her uh you can find that on our facebook page just search for uh search for you know sawbones on facebook and you'll and scroll it you'll find it It'll, yeah you'll see the link right there i really appreciate that thank you so much in advance if you're able to kick in a couple bucks and uh thanks to taxpayers for letting us use their song medicines it's the intro, Natural program—that's going to do it for us, Sid.
1: Yeah, thank you guys sorry for this listening. Ep- sorry, and- this
0: episode was a little bit late this week. You know, yeah, life, right? Am yeah. I right?
1: <laughs> We're just out there dodging
0: ticks. Just out there dodging ticks, and until next week. Um, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy, and as always, don't drill a hole in your head.